Hi everyone, PJ here. This episode of JLA Cast was recorded before the allegations were made against several men working in the comics industry today. It does include reference to and talk of a number of books written by Warren Ellis. John and I would like to make it absolutely clear that we believe the victims and we firmly stand with them. Thank you. Welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John, and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ, and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Troll Tooth Wars. PJ, uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna fa- I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend like we haven't just spent half an hour talking about <laughs> comics <laughs> talking about comics talking about uh very off topic talking about the history of the avengers which uh clearly will need to be our spin-off comic because our spin-off comic our spin-off podcast uh because we've got a lot to say on the matter and we we do both love kurt Busick's avengers run possibly as much as we love grant morrison's jla run mm-hmm. we do and 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 it's it's very interesting because both both series could be credited with reimagining, revitalizing their respective titles, yeah, but in very different ways. Yeah, like they are. Sorry, guys. Hey, he- hello, everyone. We're we're just getting right into it. This is inside baseball. Um, <laughs> I mean, if they've listened to this many episodes of the podcast by now, come on. Oh yeah, no. It's like it's only the diehards now at this point. Um, but yeah, but no, like Kurt Busick. Uh, big on the law, big on the continuity, um, very, very down to earth, and I don't mean that in an insulting manner because it's very imaginative. But his stories were always very grounded in the people behind them. Yeah, am I doing a terrible job of explaining this? No, this? I don't think so. I think you're 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 pretty much nailing it on the head. Yeah, it's it's about the Avengers and how they interact with each other as people a lot. Um, picks up a lot of threads as well from old Avengers comics, even terrible ones, and then <laughs> does really good things with them. And then, by contrast, would you say that JLA, Grant Morrison's JLA, is about spectacle? Yes. Which, at the same time, caveat, is not to say that it's heartless or soulless, because like, it's far from it. But it's like they're like two very different styles of superhero comic writing, and I love them both, even though I think they're worlds apart. Yeah, no, I agree. They they really are. It's um, but they're both also. I think they perfectly encapsulate why I read those books. Busick's Avengers for me is like the definitive version of the Avengers, and the same with Morrison's JLA. Um, and it's something. 
and we've mentioned it before, we're going to mention it again, but it's something I think that Busick touches on really well when he brings the two teams together in JLA Avengers. Yes, of course. Yeah. God, I'm an idiot. Like, uh, yeah, because I was thinking like, yeah, wow, those two series really were both iconic and different in their and coexisting. And like, if only they'd met in some in, in some way, somehow conveniently forgetting that <laughs> JLA Avengers is sitting on my bedside table and I've recently re- reread it there for you the go. first time in like five years. I mean, oh, PJ, my brain is my brain is curling like an old sandwich <laughs> inside my skull. Like, I don't know what's going on. That is, in my opinion, the um, JLA Avengers is my absolute favourite intercompany crossover that has ever been done. Now, you, you say that. I do say uh, that. And, and, and I'll forgive you, but y- you do live in a world where Marvel versus DC exists. Look, Marvel DC is fun, but let's not pretend it's a good story. It's... PJ, you're, 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 you're terribly lucky we're not in the same room right now because... Um... They may never find your body. It's it's <laughs> it's a series of fights that were voted for by fans, strung together with the barest of plots. Ooh, that's generous. <laughs> <laughs> it was just an excuse to for people to draw these yeah. characters together in a book. But don't get me wrong, I love it for what it is, but JLA Avengers is a bloody good story. Yes, and I, I think absolute credit to Kurt Busick. Because it's it's like I mean ultimately it's stupid, right? Like you know whenever do I'm just comics are stupid. Comics are <laughs> comics are not art. Comics are stupid, and this is just two teams of colourful people punching the crap out of each other. So to treat it with the respect and as you say, just just to actually string a decent story out of it, like to never to never lose faith in, like, this deserves to be a proper story. I mean, like, just full, like, astonishing. Like, full credit to to them. Like that, I think that's the thing with intercompany crossovers, he said pointedly, is <laughs> too often I feel like they rely on just having those character names meet. Like, I've got loads of them uh, on my shelf. Um, one that always sticks in my mind that I think was written and drawn by John Byrne is... Um, Galactus versus Darkseid. Now, what? Yeah, as a concept, that sounds amazing. Um, you take these two icons created or co-created by Jack Kirby and have them meet, and you've got all the stuff from the New Gods, the Silver Surfer, everything there. If Kirby had done that story, that would be amazing. But because John Byrne did it, and it was in the 90s, so it was after John Byrne. Uh, let's say he wasn't at the peak of his powers anymore. Hmm. Eh, it's just a bit disposable. Um, when did it... Yeah, okay, so it came out in the 90s. I think it say. was uh, early 90s, I want to say, like 93, 94. He did a Batman Captain America one around the same time um, that was actually set during World War Two, and that's fun. It's all right. You've got some fun stuff between the Joker and the Red Skull, uh, but again, ultimately just feels disposable. I've never even heard of these. This... this, this... You could just be pranking me in like an epic, an epic fashion right now because, <laughs> like, I've only your word that these actually exist. That is, that is insane. The ones I really think, two that I think really work actually quite well. One is, um, and I think they were released in the same year. I want to say '97. I might be wrong. One is Superman Fantastic Four, which is a Dan Jurgens book that has an Alex Ross cover, 
Um, and that one is actually a, a stealth sequel to DC versus Marvel and then the Access Limited series because you have Superman uh, in the DC universe finds evidence that maybe Krypton was eaten by Galactus rather than what he thought had happened. And then he remembers Access, remembers the Marvel universe, remembers Galactus and just travels over to meet the Fantastic Four. <laughs> and then Superman becomes the Herald of Galactus. <laughs> oh, God. And it's good fun. It's a good book. Okay, PJ, pop quiz. Yeah. If you had to had your if you had to have your mind taken over and your body transformed by one malevolent force in the Marvel universe, would you rather it be Galactus or Apocalypse? Uh Galactus. Oh, interesting. An interesting choice. You'd rather be a herald. Because the heralds seem to be able to break free from his control more often. They're more powerful and generally nicer people once they do break free, it seems. I remember a time when uh, I have a miscellaneous issue of New Warriors from uh, at some point in the in the mid-90s. Uh-huh. And I remember that both, I'm going to get this wrong now, Airwalker mm-hmm. and Firelord. Yep. Uh, which, uh, Kiggs, if you're listening, uh, were, were both uh, ex-heralds of Galactus after Silver Surfer. And they were just, as you say, quite nice. They were just hanging out with the new warriors and yep. were like, hey, we're just, we're just here to help, you know. Yeah, the only we're one just... that seems to have stayed evil after he left the service of Galactus was Terax, and he was a dick anyway. Terax, yes, Terax just had a big axe, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. It was a combination it... of the words terror, because he had earth powers, and oh, God. axe, because he had an axe. <laughs> You're right. You're right, PJ. It was scaring me in the face all along. But yeah, so you, you get this story where Superman becomes the Herald of Galactus and then just basically quickly goes, no, nah, I don't want to actually. Does he get some kind of slick physical transformation? He Does becomes... He new... Okay, so he. Uh, this was after Energy Superman. He was normal Superman again um, at this point. But he basically becomes Energy Superman again, but in gold when he becomes Galactus's Herald. Okay. I can imagine like if you're Galactus, like... Everyone, everyone assumes you've just got to click your fingers, yeah, and like make you know make make a herald appear. But like in that split second, you've got to do all the kind of costume design, yeah. and everything. Like if I was Galactus, yeah, you'd want to fall back on a stone cold classic but, like Energy Superman. But the the story ends basically with Superman breaking free and Galactus going, "Well, I came to Krypton, but it was already gone." Oh, okay, that's fine. Um, but then the other crossover in that same year, which and these sort of demonstrate the two ways crossovers happen. One is you establish that they're in separate universes and they're just meeting. And then the other one is, no, they were always in a universe. And that's The Incredible Hulk versus Superman by Steve Rude. That is a brilliant book. Wait, so, so sorry, it, it's working on the premise that Superman and the Hulk both exist in the same universe already in this book. Huh. And it basically flashes back to an early meeting between the two Um and it's that one's a re- actually really well done. Steve Rude gets both characters, and that one tells a pretty good story. Um, but it's the ones where they meet up in universes that just get confusing. Yeah, because I, 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 I'm not saying that like, I'm not saying that continuity is everything, but like, I, I do like a degree of internal logic. Because well, you get and- DC versus Marvel, which is supposed to be in continuity with, for the two universes. And then you get the all-access and unlimited-access miniseries, which focus yes. on the character that they both owned. Now, PJ, could you could you please teach me, and maybe the audience, something here? Because I remember, of course, Marvel vs. DC, or 
DC versus Marvel. Yep. Uh, which was basically like taking your action figures and smashing them together and a public vote deciding who would win. Uh, but it did center on the ca- on the character of Access, who was a guy who had the power to essentially move between universes. Yeah, um, correct. And he was a character that Marvel and DC owned the rights to jointly. Um, so I think it was about a year after DC versus Marvel, you get the miniseries All Access, which was published by DC, and it had four issues, each one featuring team-ups. So you had Superman, Spider-Man in the first issue. Um, who was in the second issue? That was uh, Jubilee and Robin, I think. Oh, right, yeah. Because um, Jubilee finds access to go, hey, I thought Robin was really cute and I want to meet him again. Take me, take me <laughs> to see him. And access goes, oh, all right then. Um, and then they have a fight with Two-Face. Uh, and then issue three was Batman meeting Doctor Strange. Okay, that's a weird one. Well, Access is having issues, and Batman, because he's a detective who's just basically sent Jubilee back to her universe and said, don't do that again. Robin, you go home. And then Access says, wait, you're a detective. You can help me figure out the weird stuff that's happening behind the scenes here. And then, so they go to the Marvel universe, because Access thinks that's where it's centred, and then they go to see Doctor Strange, because Access has been seeing Doctor Strange fate. Ah, right, And it turns out Doctor Strange fate is still around and hidden inside Doctor Strange and wants to bring back the Amalgam universe and then Batman threatens him the X-Men turn up because okay so there's a there's a lot to unpack there and I I, I think we should say I, I want to say for the benefit of the audience but frankly just because I want to say these words out loud uh following Marvel versus DC or kind of simultaneously very very briefly the two universes were physically merged into the Amalgam universe, yes. where heroes were literally smashed together yeah. to create fusions. And some of them were, to my my young self, the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Well, um, yeah, so you, you do get like Dark Claw, which is Wolverine Batman. That's very cool. And, and uh, Super Soldier I liked as well. Yes, um, very good. Spider Boy, which was Spider Man and Superboy, because they were both clones. So, and Doctor Strange Fate, which was Doctor Strange with Doctor Fate's hat on, but his secret identity or oh, his God, real identity yeah, was, was Charles Xavier for some Charles reason. Charles Xavier for some reason, and then later on he got killed by Lobo the Duck. Did he? Oh my <laughs> God! Yeah, but so but he starts merging the X Men and the JLA to make new amalgams, and you get Bishop merged with Superman. <laughs> Which is basically just Superman with Bishop's goatee and an M on his chest instead of an S. Really? Yeah. And, but that was the end of that miniseries. And then a year later, Marvel published Unlimited Access, which was clearly a Marvel book because it had their style at the time. But what was weird was um, that was merging the characters from different time periods as well as universes. So you had one, right. Wonder Woman from the past and... Hal Jordan Green Lantern shows up instead of Kyle Rayner because Access realizes he can travel in time as well. But one of the weird things about it, the, the strangest thing about that book for me is it's a Marvel book, but it's got both universe characters in it. But it to tie into it, Access at one point is trying to find Green Lantern and he appears in Kyle Rayner's apartment. Not in the Unlimited Access miniseries, though, but in an issue of Green Lantern. Wait, so he just randomly pops up? In an issue like, of Green Lantern, which, which then has a footnote or something to say, 
to find out what this is, read this miniseries, Unlimited Access, a Marvel book. And then the issue of Unlimited Access mentions him doing it and says, so that's what happened in Green Lantern number whatever. Jeez, I I don't want to leave dead air, but yeah, I, I'm kind of speechless. Like, what... What a time to be alive. So then this Superman Fantastic Four crossover has Superman, obviously knows about the Marvel Universe, remembers Access, and goes to find him so he can go see the Fantastic Four. And then that's the last time Access was ever mentioned, and by the time you get JLA Avengers, these characters don't remember meeting each other ever. Well, to be fair, like, the the DC Universe has probably gone through, like, three or four hard resets that year. (laughs) Like, it, it, it... Like... I imagine like those those reality altering events rippled out yeah. through the Marvel universe. Well, that's like, what I find really strange. JLA Avengers is technically still continuity for the Avengers, but not for the JLA. <laughs> no, but it is though, is it not? Because in the aftermath of JLA Avengers, Kurt Busiek began writing JLA. Yeah, he did. He did a sequel story, but then sometime after that, you get Final Crisis, which reboots oh, the right. universe. And then all of a sudden, JLA Avengers didn't happen to the JLA anymore. But Marvel hasn't had that reboot, so it did still happen to the Avengers. So if they ever, if it ever happens again, so it will kind of be like uh, there's little things like in Marvel versus DC, Spider-Man, uh, who is uh, Ben Riley at the time, Kiggs, comics are weird, uh, who is wearing the greatest Spider-Man costume ever. Now, now. And, well, I mean, it's, it only hurts because it's true. Uh, <laughs> ends up in Gotham City, meets the Joker, and the Joker is like, oh, hey, Spider-Man, I see you've changed tailors since we last tangoed. And of course, Ben Riley has no idea what he's talking about, but it does have precedent. It does, it does establish that Spider-Man has previously been to the DC Universe. Well, there was uh, there was a Spider-Man Batman crossover just beforehand, um, which did have the Joker in and was Peter Parker, um, drawn by Mark Bagley. But that was one of the ones that had them as if they were already in the same universe. Oh God! Um, but there's there's a throwaway line I think in one of the Access books where Access says, "Oh, these crossovers keep happening, and I've sorted them out, but they're weird. The universe is mer." And I think it's a throwaway line to say even the ones where they are in the same universe already and know who they are are technically in continuity. They just forget. And it it doesn't make any sense. Okay. Mandate, state-issued mandate, crossovers are fine. You can explain anything by simply having one character with a machine or a power or the ability to open a door between universes. That's fine. There's a very specific reason we're discussing continuity with uh, interuniversal crossovers on this episode, folks. We haven't just gone off on a weird tangent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yes, because uh, our, 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 magical, uh, our magical mystery tour of miscellaneous JLA stories in between Volume 1 and Volume 2 of the main series uh, continues with JLA Wildcats. Um which is a very weird little book, and we had to give a lot of thought as to where it would fit in. Now, this was all on you, because I had not read this book until last night. <laughs> so... and, now, and now you've read it, PJ. Yep. Do you understand why it had to come before Volume 2? Uh, yes, or... I have an idea. Although, I will say, I had to go back and check a couple of things. John, the continuity is a mess. 
It's an absolute mess. Oh, wait. Yes, it probably is, isn't it? Yeah. No, I I had a horrible mi- I had a horrible moment there where I suddenly thought, "Hang on a minute. Was he was he Electric Blue Superman in Volume 2?" Uh, like I was suddenly like, "What the hell is no, going he, on he, here?" But he is. He is Electric Blue Superman and he's on the team and, and great. But I I know I think I know what you're talking about when you say this is where this had to come. The problem is a story we didn't look at, which was just a little throwaway in Secret Files and Origins 1 which is the JLA meet Electric Blue Superman for the first time, is clearly set during issue five of JLA. Oh, God, you're right. No, it is. Oh, no, this is... No, PJ, we we, we never discussed it on air. It's not a very so good it, story, and we're not going to discuss it on air. It's rubbish. Because, but... because, we, because we never discussed it, it doesn't exist. <laughs> but just be aware, folks, continuity, she be messed up. Yeah, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that like um, that was a ripple in space time. Like that was that was Superboy Prime punching on his <laughs> universal prison. Oh God! And that caused that caused the JLA to meet Electric Blue Superman twice. Hmm. Yep. That's what that's what I'm saying. Okay. And I, and I'm, I'm, I'm sticking to it. Um. But no. So we are. Uh, we have in front of us. Um. JLA Wildcats. Um, I don't necessarily know why this book exists. Um, Did was because I I know almost nothing about Wildcats. Apparently, Cats stands for Covert Action Teams. Why not just team? Does. Why not just team in the singular? Is it because they wanted it to be cats? Um, I think you'd have to ask Jim Lee. Okay. Um, it might be because, and I, I think this was the design rationale between many uh, about uh, you know uh, behind many things in the nineties. Um, it sounded and looked cool. Is um, now was Grant Morrison anything to do with like? Did he have anything to do with Image Comics or these these characters no. at all at the time? Okay, no. So no. So yeah, why and does this exist? <laughs> I'm not entirely sure why this exists because this is. Um, I do know a thing or two about the Wildcats, uh, so I feel, I, I feel like you are our guru on a Midsummer's Nightmare, and I feel I'm here to guide you through this this strange land. Okay, well- uh, but but even so, I'm a little baffled because JLA, right? Okay, so this, this book PJ was released in September 1997. Okay, so it actually came out in the same month. That Rock of Ages began. Oh, okay. So that doesn't make any sense either, does it? So, but JLA was probably the hottest title in comics at the time. I, I think that's probably like it, maybe not, but it, it was up there. Like it, it uh, Grant Morrison, Howard Porter, and the team—they had revitalized JLA. Like it was killing yeah. it. People yeah. loved it. Wildcats was not. So. I don't entirely know why. Were they like, oh, let's have this team of utter classic comic book characters meet these up and coming heroes? I mean, like, Wildcats was popular, but this is not Wildcats at the peak of its powers. Like, this is this is like um, few years post post the 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 birthing of Wildcats onto the world. Like, I'm not. I feel the shine had come off it. <laughs> so. I'm going to tell you everything I knew about Wildcats before I read this book. And what I know about Wildcats now is not a lot more. But before I read this book, 
I knew that Majestic replaced Superman for a, a very brief period in, I want to say, the early 2000s in his own book for some reason. Didn't read the issues, just know it happened. Yes. Uh, and I know that Maul replaced the thing on the Fantastic Four in issue 13 of the Heroes Reborn Fantastic Four when they did a weird image crossover that what, made what, no sense. What? So, what? That really happened? Uh, yeah, the Heroes Reborn titles all had an issue 13 which had image comics characters in them and it was like the Galactus story. It was a four-part story told over each title, each issue 13, where um, the universes merged, certain characters suddenly didn't exist and one of them was The Thing. And instead of the thing, you had Maul on the Fantastic Four. PJ, I, I thought there was a limit to the amount of times you could blow my mind. But... <laughs> At least once please. an episode, dude. Okay, wow. So um, I, I I should say that one one thing I know about this book is it was a little, well, I say controversial, but not really. Like it, But it did annoy a few people when it came out. Oh, okay. Because a lot of people... Uh, I would say Wildcats fans weren't exactly happy with Morrison's uh, take on the team. Uh, I think a lot of people said it felt like a kind of Wildcats light rather than a true representation of the team. Now, I will say from the perspective of someone who doesn't know them, it did feel like it didn't feel like a proper crossover. It felt like a JLA story guest starring the Wildcats. Yes, it it's an odd one. So, so do how much do you know about Wildcats lore? Um, I've just told you it. Oh, <laughs> um, well, well, I I would I have a risk of I I want I don't want to rub my mouth, so I'll keep it. I'll try and keep it brief. But it's 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 basically they were the X Men, right. like they when they originally came out, Jim Lee had come off drawing a wildly successful run on the X-Men, I believe. That was my understanding. Could have got that wrong. <laughs> um, and you could almost you could almost one-to-one work out which character was based on which X-Men. Or which X-Man. So they were led by Spartan, who was a red-headed uh commanding if a little kind of reserved leader character who had that awesome kind of 90s costume that went up to his forehead but let his hair kind of flow freely over the top oh one of those who could, yeah. fi- who could fire energy blasts and wore a a red and blue blue primarily blue costume with like red and white trimmings okay. does that sound like an x-man Blue costume with red and white trimmings. A a a, a slightly reserved leader. Yeah. Don't focus too much on the colours. Oh, okay. No, I can't. Energy think blasts. Of energy blasts. <laughs> um, like Wolverine. <laughs> well, no, PJ. You might be thinking of Warblade, who um. Oh, is that the one that ca- even had Wolverine's mask, but in like silver? Um, no, uh, uh, Warblade. So basically, you had <laughs> you had Sparkson who was basically Cyclops. You had Zealot, who was basically Psylocke. You had... I could continue. You had Warblade, who had giant metal claws, who was basically Wolverine, and so on and so on. Like, it wasn't all one-to-one. There was a few kind of weird characters thrown in. But, like... And Maul was basically the Hulk. Yep. Basically. So... Oh, and Grifter was basically Gambit. 
I've just looked up so, a picture of them. That's just the X-Men, yeah. Yeah, they were basically the X-Men. And the the kind of story behind it is not especially deep. It's simply that many, many, many millennia ago, two warring alien species crash-landed on Earth. So you had the Cherubim, who were kind of like amazingly powerful, beautiful alien supermen. Right. Who who just were impossibly muscled and beautiful and could fire energy blasts, lived for thousands of years, that sort of thing. Is that what Majestic is? Oh, yes, PJ. Yes, that is actually. Good. Detective work. <laughs> Good guess, yeah. Um, and and you had uh, the, the Demonites, and the Demonites were monstrous, clawed, telepathic shapeshifters. And basically these two warring factions crashed on earth couldn't escape and then slowly continued their war while like assimilating with human culture so when we fast forward to the present day uh you have all these people who have either demonite or cherubim dna because at some point down the line their ancestor bred with one of them basically so that's the excuse for being these aren't mutants no they're a lot more complicated than that <laughs> they're a lot more complicated than mutants but there are people who might one day just wake up and have m- amazing powers i really miss 60 superhero origins <laughs> <laughs> yeah sadly nobody stepped into a into an experimental reactor and gained powers Boom! Here. radiation radiation everybody uh, sometimes it's cosmic sometimes it's gamma um <laughs> But that's basically it. And I would challenge anyone to come up with uh, a particularly meaningful storyline or enemy that really shook up that status quo because it, it didn't. It wasn't really meant to challenge you. It was just meant to be flashy and exciting and... Image. <laughs> an image, basically. And I, one thing I will say is, is that from those slightly humble origins... There are uh, there are creative teams who have done some truly, I would say, uh, groundbreaking things with uh, the Wildcats over the years. Okay. Uh, 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 indeed, this is the universe which eventually spawned to have uh, would would give rise to the Authority. Yeah. Uh, to um, Stormwatch, um, kind of where uh, Warren Ellis cut his teeth. It was a contained, quote unquote, realistic modern superhero universe so wildcats a lot of those characters now exist in the dc universe after um final crisis and and that is or is that just some of the stormwatch characters that's already been undone I oh feel. what really yes um so uh i could be proven wrong but i would say over a decade or so it was actually a very tightly woven universe so you had the Wildcats, you had the Authority, uh, you had a few other things going on, but like for a little while, it was a universe with a limited number of superhero teams, very political, very intrigue, very military-esque. It, it was good. I will say it was good. Okay. Um, but it ran its course, and it, it you started, they started to run out of ideas. They kind of made it post-apocalyptic for a while. And then they did an event called the World Storm, where basically Captain Atom from the DC universe, mm-hmm. got teleported to the Wildstorm universe, which is what this became. 
and he kind of went supernova. And in doing that, he kind of did a Dr. Manhattan and he rewrote the universe. I mean, you know, Dr. Manhattan was Captain Atom anyway. So. <laughs> yes. Um, so it all, came, it all came full circle. Uh, DC did Final Crisis. They did the New 52. They took a load of those characters and wove them into the DC universe to mixed levels of success. So did this, um, what was it, Planet Storm, did you say it was called? Was that the world storm. world storm? Yeah, was that happening around the same time as Final Crisis? Then that's a really good question. It may have been ever so slightly before, okay. and I think some of those characters may have been in limbo for a little while. Right? Can I say one of the saddest things is there is a lost Grant Morrison series, two series, in fact, um, where he was on track to do a reboot of both Wildcats and The Authority. Oh. Which I I was a big Authority fan. I was a big fan of Wildcats version 3.0, which reimagined them as a corporation. You can hmm. see some of my influences kind of uh kind of um bubbling up to the surface here. Just a bit. And basically he uh I, I think it was Grant Morrison and Jim Lee they released one issue of Wildcats, the, this new Wildcats version four, this bold new imagining, and it got something happened. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Like something fell through behind the scenes. Maybe it was because DC were wanted to bring those characters into the DC universe, but for whatever reason, it it, it just was killed. It never happened. But that issue is still out there somewhere. You can track it down. So you talking about your influences here. Here's what you need to do for Afterlife Inc. Volume 7. You need to come up with an acronym for the word life. <laughs> um, no, no, don't do it what? now. Just, okay, okay. There you okay, go. Okay, I'll get, That's what you need I'll to do. I'll give you some thought. And then, um, and then credit me and give me royalties. Uh, <laughs> I, well, I owe, you, I owe you so much, PJ. But, uh, <laughs> but no, but sorry. So that is a potted, very, very, very potted history of the Wildcats. Okay. Uh, I will I, be I asking just, more questions. I think as we go through this, I, I will say I will say very very quickly now that Warren Ellis has returned to the superhero universe. He cut his teeth on, and is now writing, or has just finished writing a uh, the Wild Storm, oh, okay. which is a complete reimagining of the entire universe yet again. But it's very good. Uh, I would recommend it. And that was going to spawn a new Wildcat series, written by Warren Ellis, I think, illustrated by Jim Chung, and that got cancelled because of the coronavirus oh, no. uh, pandemic. Yeah. So that brings us up to the present day of Wildcats. This story uh, is, I would say, not from a particularly innovative or groundbreaking period of the Wildcats history. Okay. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. It is more of a JLA story than a Wildcats story. And given what was happening in the world of Wildcats, that's maybe not a massive loss at the moment. <laughs> um, sorry, PJ. I've been, so I've been talking far too much about the Wildcats. Should we get into it? We should. Um, now, I'm reading on Comixology here. This is the one book we're covering that I do not have a physical copy of. So... Um, the credits don't seem to be... This says uh, by Va on the front by Grant Morrison, Val Semix, and Kevin Conrad, but it doesn't say who's doing what. Now, I'm assuming Grant Morrison wrote uh, it. 
yes, I, I'm holding a, a slightly uh, moth-eared and I believe second-hand uh, physical copy. Uh, and yes, Grant Morrison wrote it. Uh, Val, uh, sorry, Cimex, Cimex, could you say? I don't know. Okay, Cimex, uh, 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 penciling. Uh, Kevin Conrad and Ray Crissing inking. Ken Lopez, letterer. And Pat Garahay, colorist. There we go. And I should say, PJ, this story is actually called Crime Machine. Mine doesn't have that. Oh. Well, mine, mine, mine does ha- not have a credits or a title page. Mine has uh, Crime Machine, almost as if they were ashamed to it, uh, in uh, ashamed of it in the tiniest font. Like, in the tiniest font in the legal section. You know what? That title has um, increased my opinion of this book tenfold. Oh, okay. There we go. Um, I, I, I am intrigued to hear to hear your thoughts as we get into it. Um, uh, PJ, did you want to do the honours? Because I've been talking far too much. Also, I'm, I'm comfortable with where we are at the beginning. So we actually get... I love this opening page. Um, it's narrated by Wally West. And he's talking... He says, my name's Wally West. I was Kid Flash. I was the fastest boy alive once upon a time. And you get a really cool shot of Kid Flash, the classic yellow and red costume, running past some cows... It looks very English countryside, that, actually. Um, it's it's a lovely page, and then he falls over. It's uh, what he's narrating what's happening, and he says the ground erodes out from under his feet, and he, he basically just tumbles into a river. Can we, can we, can we briefly mention how um, uh, Wally says in his kind of flashbacky kind of narration that he ran the 10 miles home in less than a picosecond. That's quick. Which I think is like one ten to the power twelfth of a second. One, that's real quick. Two, that's a very Grant Morrison touch. Yeah. I, now, I don't know if you can possibly be too fast. I feel, <laughs> I feel that may be an embarrassment of riches, but there we go. I mean, the cows don't look bothered. The cows probably didn't even see anything. <laughs> they probably they didn't have time for their brains to register it. I just like that we can discuss cows in a JLA book. It's a nice touch. It's about damn time. Yeah, really. More cows in my comics. Um, but yeah, like um, some kind of blast like disintegrates the ground under his feet, and we do get a nice little thing where in his narration he says, um, "I went down hard. My frictionless aura protected me from serious injury." But I guess I was pretty badly concussed. So I was this, never really sure what happened that day. Does this imply that while you've got this frictionless aura, you can bang your head on the frictionless aura? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I guess it does kind of suggest that if he did trip, he would just kind of keep skidding forever. <laughs> oh man, that would suck. Nobody, of, nobody's talking about that, PJ. Reminds me of when I fell over on a ski slope, but I landed with my skis still flat, <laughs> so just kept going down. I thought you were going to say, but thankfully I landed on my face and no. uh, ev- eventually my beard uh, slowed me down. No, I didn't have a beard back then. Couldn't grow one. Mostly because you slid down a ski slope on your face. <laughs> I, I don't recommend it. <laughs> um, but but yeah, like um, a voice picks up and says, so as I was saying a moment ago, uh, and we suddenly have this uh, dude in a weirdly like... Kind of like a liquid metal costume, for lack yeah. of a better phrase. Yeah, it seems to be forming a gun 
Or have... No, the gun's smoking, so clearly that's what he's used to blast the ground out from Wally's feet. Um, and he says, ah, sorry, a moment ago you were much older. So, and, and Wally's narration says not until it happened again. So it is, it is, we're already in a weird time paradox situation here. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if you hang out with any Flash long enough, you're going to get some weird kind of time shit going on. Um, but yeah, like, uh, this dude is basically raises his hand and there's just like an absolutely massive gun like you do and Wally's like okay I have no idea who the hell this guy is is he an alien is he a part of the rogues gallery uh but you know he's got a gun so he's probably a bad guy now I um at this point in reading the comic last night I recognized this guy and I was like why do I recognize him and I did a little digging and I figured it out and he has a profile in JLA Secret Files and Origins issue one mm, and I realized I never knew why this guy had a profile in that comic when I first read it and it was to it was because of this yeah basically and that just made me I was I, again I found it really weird that a character from a crossover the main villain in a crossover book intercompany crossover had a fact file in a DC fact file book but that also then says he first appeared in Justice League of America issue 10 or something in the 60s so well I was going to ask actually whether you were aware of this dude who we will name in a second uh, whether you were aware of him giving your extensive knowledge uh, of, no of nothing everything. nothing beyond what I read on in his profile in Secret Files and Origins he's no Kang the Conqueror basically is what you're saying no possibly but, my favourite time travelling villain but who is <laughs> yeah, exactly certainly not immortus oh wait <laughs> there we did it pj don't, <laughs> don't. i was nearly gonna fall down a rabbit hole and i don't want to iron we lad, did scarlet it. centurion oh god no <laughs> the geekiest ramatut the geekiest joke we'll ever make on this podcast um but yeah so basically um whoever this dude is he likes to talk uh because he just keeps saying much like me actually and he keeps saying um he's wearing a battle suit made from state-of-the-art 41st century technology. It is a telekinetically controlled, superconducting liquid poly alloy. And um, basically Flash doesn't care. He is vibrating his fingers super fast yep. to it, it, like combust the oxygen in the air. Yeah, but uh, this dude catches on to it. Uh, he's, he's, he, he comments, he says, clever. Yeah, you're a clever little boy. Um... But he's just about to kill Wally. Wally is Kid Flash. Uh, he introduces himself at this point as well as Epoch, the Lord of Time. There you go. Remember that name. I'm sure he'll be sticking around for a while. Lord um, of Time. Time Lord. Oh, he's a Doctor yes. Who character. No, Some kind of time-travelling psychopath. Yeah. And he opens fire on Wally... And Wally's narration is suddenly kind of like overtaken by somebody speaking. And he's like, and it all gets very confusing for a second because he's like, somebody snatched the bullets out of the air. Don't know who. I never really understood what was happening. And then we turn the page and we see the JLA, including an adult Wally West. I do love the little moment where young Wally looks at adult Wally and just says Uncle Barry because it's the Flash costume of course he's going to think that's Barry Allen because the only difference is the belt isn't it yeah 
Yeah, they have a, a slightly different zigzag of lightning on oh, the belt. Oh, and basically. the uh, the eyes. Barry has the um, the like Captain America style where it's just open and you can see his eyes. Wally has the more Batman style, opaque, white. Ah, interesting. You know, yeah, that's a very good point, PJ. I suddenly, I I suddenly have no idea. I suddenly cannot bring Wally West to mind in the regular series to think whether he has pupils or not. You no, know, he doesn't. Uh, it, his costume changes later on, and his mask becomes more like Barry's. Um, but at the moment in the main book, he's got this look. Uh, yeah, so um, PJ, how how do you feel now that the JLA are on the scene? Oh, uh, reassured. Um, it's only five of them, and you get roll calls here, which, you know, these are the only five members who are going to appear. You're not going to get Aquaman, I'm afraid, Aquafans. Um, yeah, I went there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, wow yeah so good uh, so good and uh you're not gonna get jean um i don't have a word for people who like him yet <laughs> the, so it's just the man hunters the martian fan hunters oh my god pj you're so good <laughs> and, i'm so shit you're amazing that's so good so you get the roll call superman batman wonder woman flash green lantern and then a bunch of guys i don't know um <laughs> you, you introduce it's, it's not Oh well, kids, you know they're they they're the ones you know and love. It's majestic, grifter, zealot, void, and more. And I'm just going to say here, right now, while he's on the page, grifter's mask is bloody stupid. PJ, um, I like you a lot. <laughs> this <laughs> isn't even a joke. Grifter's mask. I, I, this this is my TED talk. Grifter's mask is one of the greatest superhero costumes of all time. Beg to differ. Anyway. I, genu- I genuinely believe that. <laughs> I think... Oh, God, what's wrong with me? Uh, it's genuinely, I think, the absolute perfect distillation of a superhero costume. You know... Down to just a head rag. You know when you think um, like something you that you've someone? held up as a work of genius, <laughs> a, a, something you love the writing on, it was just absolutely amazing... And then you have that moment where you think, no, the writer's an idiot. Did they do this by accident? Like I did with uh, the first Matrix after the last two Matrix movies. I now think that about you and Afterlife Inc. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just glad you've never held Afterlife Inc. in particularly high esteem. No, I did. (laughs) Because otherwise I'd be really offended. (laughs) (laughs) PJ, look, look, okay. You know, that, that was the teaser trailer. If you subscribe to my second podcast... Uh, Grifter's great, PJ's wrong. Uh, it's available on all platforms. Second um, podcast. Come on, you got Cuckoos, you got uh, Show Called over the Hate. Course of, uh, look, PJ, it's going to be an emotional journey, but over the course of 50 episodes, you will learn how wrong you were. Dude, you're, you're like. About Grifter's Mask. You're Mr. UK Podcast. It's, you've got like five of them. <laughs> Mr. Worldwide Grifter fan. Um. Well, I'll forgive you. I'll for, everybody gets one, PJ. I'll, I'll, forgi- I'll forgive you for that. But if I we'll say it again on. later in the issue, I'm in trouble. Now, everyone's allowed to believe one completely irrational thing. Ah. You know, it's like, PJ, I know, you, I know you're convinced that the sun revolves around the earth. That's fine. That's you. You know, I'm not going to take that away from you. I believe that Grifter's Mask is a work of genius and possibly the, the most original thing to come out of the Wildcats. Do you know what? We've got on about Grifter's Mask, completely overlooking the fact that we're now looking at the very first page that we have looked at when the entire time we've been doing this podcast featuring Electric Blue Superman. <laughs> oh my god. That could be because, PJ, in my in my physical copy, he lives almost entirely in the um 
the um, <laughs> the gutter oh, no. <laughs> between the two pages. Oh, see, I've got the thing with comicsology where I have to turn it on its side and it becomes a nice widescreen image. And yeah, ah. he's dead center and it is electric blue Superman with all his blue and white glory crackling with energy, the big jagged S in them. And it's huge. You're, you're kind of right about the continuity not making an, uh, an utter lick of sense here because I'm, I'm assuming that this issue or this story, as much as you care about it, kind of falls after the first issue of American Dreams, like in a weird way, because nobody is like, oh, bloody hell, it's Electric Blue Superman. Like, it's like they, they it's like he's always been this way. Well, they, they, they don't really do that in the first part of American Dreams either. Um, we'll get to that. But he's just there. He's just part of the he's league. He's just now. there. And good God, he looks amazing. I mean, PJ, I'm very happy right now because we have both Electric Blue Superman and Grifter in a thumbnail on the same page to arguably the two greatest superhero costumes ever designed. Now, you know what? I do have a real soft spot for the Electric Blue Superman costume looking back at the time now. Um, I, it, it's great. And whenever it does have a brief cameo reappearance in things, it makes me very happy. Um, and I, gen- I unironically love Electric Blue Superman. It's He's just incredible. All the jagged edges on the costume to denote energy like in the pattern between the white and the blue on his arms and his legs. It is just, in case you didn't get it, this guy, energy. <laughs> this is, to me, arguably the peak 90s costume, in, uh, costume design in a good way. Like, I, 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 I honestly... It's the yeah. fact they did it to Superman. The, hey, Superman isn't timeless no but that, that's Su- it Su- of, of all the characters the most iconic the most iconic superhero costume that has ever existed and they didn't just make small changes they just went we're gonna just throw that out hey pj look hey hey now there are people around the world wearing electric blue superman t-shirts right have you ever seen anybody bearing a t-shirt maybe even a wallet or a belt with the classic superman logo on it i think not i mean is this the wrong time to point out i own one (laughs) (laughs) what you own an electric blue i wish no i own a classic (laughs) blue t-shirt with the yellow and red logo on it (laughs) i am of course being a facetious asshole i genuinely Um, would love to own one with the electric blue logo on it though that god can you imagine i'm gonna i'm gonna look into that it must exist um should we, um, so, should, should yeah, we actually so, discuss why Superman is electric now? Yeah, well, you might actually... I've, I've, I've only heard about it secondhand, so, so you might be able to explain. And again, I think, if I remember it correctly, again, it makes a mockery of continuity. Um, because what happens is, I believe it's all tied into the final night, uh, that event book that happened just before JLA, or around the same time. Um, right. Because the sun goes out, and through the course of that book, Superman slowly loses his powers. Uh, and then it all gets fixed when um, Parallax Hal Jordan reignites the sun, killing himself to do so, using all his power. Um, during that comic, though, there is a moment where Captain Atom is leader of the Justice League, and it's a whole different Justice League. But that would mean that, because after the final night, Superman's powers don't come back. They're just gone. And right. um, but that would mean then that JLA somehow issues one to four somehow take place in between Final Night and um, Superman getting his powers back. But that doesn't work because in order to give him his powers back, they just hit him with way too much energy, 
and he can't control it and he just becomes this non-corporeal energy being and star labs make the costume he is wearing to help him contain his powers and contain his form and become he has to wear it all the time just well, PJ, to have some semblance question, of physical does, form. Does he have to give up on his Clark Kent identity no, during this period? because once he's got this suit on, he can regulate it and make himself look normal. But he's always wearing oh. this suit underneath. And, yeah. Oh, that's weak sauce. I mean, the, like, if you're going to give him blue skin, at least bo- at least go all the way with it. But yeah, there's there's a, they collected it in a, a graphic novel called Superman Transformed, which has quite a cool logo where it um, cover where it's just the Superman logo, but transitioning. So on the left, it starts as the red and yellow, but as it, you move across, it slowly transforms into the blue and white logo that you see here. Now, PJ, here's here's a thing for you. Um, growing up in the UK in the nineties. Did you ever watch News Round? Which yes. Is the kids. Okay, so the kids' news show, uh, the current events of the day for children. This made UK news. I had not. I'd stopped watching it at that point. I did not know that. I have a vivid memory of sitting in my, at the time, I believe my childminder's house. Yeah, I was a child, even though I was probably a young teenager. Uh, sitting in the lounge of her house with my brother watching news round and seeing an honest to goodness news story about how Superman was now the man of energy. And they did a brief 30 minute segment on how he bullets no longer bounced off his chest. They went right through him. That's wow. Cause I, it, I know they it, did that for the death of Superman, but I didn't realize they'd done it for, for energy Superman as well. That's crazy. That's weird, isn't it? At a time when you probably couldn't buy a Superman comic in the UK, like from a regular news agent or anything. But this is this is the other thing that's weird about this this change to me is that it ties back to the final night. So many things that happened in DC Comics at this time tie back to that event, and it's barely remembered these days. Like it it meant Superman became an energy being. It's where Hal Jordan died. It's also responsible for the resurrection of Oliver Queen as Green Arrow because he was dead at this point. Oh God, yeah, yeah, weird. And it's it's I think it's um parallax brings him back to life by because he died in an explosion and superman was close by so parallax gets some of his dna off superman's costume or something oh but, wow but again during the final night there's a flashback during in um, that first green arrow story after he's back by kevin smith that shows during the final night when so when he gets the dna off superman's costume so so many things that were key to dc at the time happened in that storyline and it's barely remembered these days. And yeah, it's not that great. It's all right. That is mad, isn't it? Like, I, I, I like, yeah. I, I've only ever really. There's so many kind of like mid '90s DC events which I'm kind of aware of, but I never experienced firsthand. And it's not like my knowledge is not extensive there anyway. But like, yeah, Final Cri- Final Night. Sorry, not Final Crisis. <laughs> doesn't even. It's not even a blip for me. Like I, I know it's a complete blank space. Again, I've got the trade. I'm glad you're here, PJ. You're like um, you're like the Internet Archive. Maybe you're, uh, you're... maybe I'll make you read Final Night at some point for one of these. <laughs> well, but eventually we will run out of content. Like we're going <laughs> to have to start filling that void. Um, but no, sorry. Um, so you know the story. Uh, basically, Lord of Time, Epoch. His suit is going. 
bananas, like lots of kind of armaments and weird little guns pointing out. Uh, but what's really important is he says that they were battling in the 1990s and the JLA was able to get his chrono cube off him, presumably, which is how they then travelled back in time yeah. to meet him here. But he has now put the time travel abilities of the cube directly into his warsuit. So he claims he is a four-dimensional man, the true lord of time. And then he opens a portal into the sun, like in the far future when it's old and red, and he blasts Superman with red sunlight. What I like, though, is the little narration box where Wally says, I didn't know what he was talking about. I couldn't see Superman anywhere. Because, of course, <laughs> as Kid Flash, looking at this blue and white guy, there's no clue that that's Superman. So, again, he'd think the Flash was Barry. He'd have no clue who Superman was, or probably Green Lantern, because let's be honest, Kyle does not look like a Green Lantern. Probably only recognised, really, Batman and Wonder Woman. Yeah, like, I mean, the, you know, those iconic costumes. Well, I was going to say, oh, I mean, Wonder Woman's costume has gone through enough changes over the years, but yeah. Batman doesn't massively change, does he? No, it's the cape and the cowl and a bat symbol of some kind. Um, but yeah, so, uh, but, you know, apparently if you look really hard, you can tell that Superman is Superman. Um, and yeah, the red sunlight just washes off his chest, like, uh, because electric blue superman doesn't have doesn't have those weaknesses anymore yeah uh kryptonite as well as i recall does not affect him it's good to know i don't think something <laughs> might prove me wrong later we might have to double check it but in my memory tells me that's the case um but yeah so um epoch the lord of time just teleports out and basically says like oh you know i'll just go back in time and uh, i'll kill your your brutish ancestors and wipe you from the pages of history and just vanishes which, yeah. uh, which is, you know, a good plan for a time-traveling villain. I don't know why they don't all do that. But, um, yeah, so the JLA basically are about to move out and Kid Flash is very confused. And Waddy just says to him, look, it's like, this is a weird moment. It's like kissing just one of those things that won't make sense until you're older. And, yeah, the, the, the JLA climb inside the Chrono Cube, which is this kind of jack kirby-esque looking cube yeah it is it's word. very it is very kirby and they leave a rather confused looking young wally west behind yeah um and this is actually quite a nice little interaction uh we talk about like a classic wally and kyle kind of moment um but but um wally's like uh god you know i look so young didn't i like this is really weird you, you don't think you change much uh and kyle just goes you had the best suit, though, man. <laughs> I like that you're starting to get a mellowing of the Kyle and Wally relationship, and um, it yeah, I love that. It isn't, and because the Kid Flash costume is awesome. Yeah, and again, like you know, look, you look, you got Kid Flash, you got uh, Electric Blue Superman, you've got Spartan, you've got Cyclops. Clearly, having your hair free from your costume. Is is it's just a surefire hit. Like it's always a good look. Can I just say that my favourite Flash sidekick is Impulse. It's not Kid Flash. It's Bart ah. Allen as Impulse. I love Impulse, and again, he has that costume. But the Kid Flash costume is a lot cooler than Impulse's costume. And when Impulse started wearing that costume, I was very happy. <laughs> We're gonna have to do World Without Grown Ups. Oh point. yes, yes, at some point. Um, so PJ, uh, would you like to pick up the narrative? So, um. 
we basically get a montage really from different time periods now where you start in 14,000 BC and Green Lantern is saving a caveman from Epoch. Epoch who says that's an old relative from way back down your family tree so that's Caveman Rainer uh, and then you get Superman blasting Epoch in 1428 AD. Yeah I, I say that time period is almost irrelevant. Yeah it, you don't just uh... it doesn't I think you there's there's a little uh, either Mayan or Aztec type pyramid behind Epoch right at the bottom of the panel obscured by a speech bubble but it's there but yeah like as you say really it, it is just a montage like I, I think Morrison's kind of like okay look we had a fun time travel opening scene now this is just bouncing everywhere and basically you, you get Flash fighting him it doesn't say when um, but then you, the, the key panel here I think is the last one which is Ancient Greece 401 BC where Wonder Woman says to Epoch we've mastered the Chrono Cube and he's basically saying look we can track you wherever you go we can be there the moment you are there stop this insane game but um, Epoch's not willing to do that. And then they go to the distant past of 2016 AD. <laughs> Which is... Oh, God, like, this is how it begins, PJ. Like, yeah. This is when you realise, like, you are just old. Because it's like, this is the far future. This is, like, 20 years, give or take, in the future. And we just see vaguely futuristic skyscrapers and fireworks... But in reality, you know that's probably like Donald Trump's inauguration yeah. or something like that. And you're just like, oh, Jesus Christ. I don't think it would look too bad as a guess as to what buildings might, some buildings, new, newer buildings would look like these days. Except for the building that seems to be in a big glass dome at the bottom of the page there, a panel there. Sorry, that's... Yeah, I would say that Val, Val Cimex was very optimistic yeah. about um, what the next 20 years would look like. I think he was um, basing it more on Back to the Future 2 than any sort of... <laughs> Um, but we, but one thing this montage does give us is maybe, for lack of a better phrase, a sense of passage of time. Yeah. Like, the, the JLA and Epoch are kind of just locked in this four-dimensional game of chess, where they keep move, they keep following him, he moves again, they're always like a second behind him, Batman is controlling the chrono cube and talks about how they need to get tactical they need to try and think ahead of him well i also like the moment where wonder woman says to him his arm is mutating rapidly we need to stop him soon and batman just says well, what does soon mean now <laughs> and it's and it's a great little morrison line that is when you're dealing with a time travel story is just yeah what what does it mean and i, I would say and again working on my my little thesis that the best thing about the jla is the professionalism yeah. of everyone in it it's like this is almost like, you know, I'm getting too old for this shit. But like, <laughs> this is not the first time traveling would-be conqueror the JLA have dealt with. Like, I love the fact that Batman can just just deal with this. Like, he's just like, oh yeah, okay, this is, we're fighting a time traveler. This is like a Tuesday. And then they go to 1944, where Epoch says he's going to bring armies of the future to conquer the present. The JLA start fighting him again. Superman repeats, you know, we're matching your every move. Uh, and then you get a nice little panel where the Justice Society are watching the JLA fight Epoch. Yeah, we see um, the original Sandman, yep. whose name suddenly escapes me. Oh, uh, uh, I know it's killing me. Dodds. Um, oh, um, oh, what's a Dodd? No, Wes Wesley, Wesley Dodds. No. Yeah, I think it's Wesley, Wesley Dodds, isn't it? And you have—I always get these two. You have Alan Scott, Greenlandson. Yep. The original Green Lantern, otherwise known as Sentinel. And 
Oh, no. What's the original Flash? Oh, is come it, on. That's the easiest one. Jay Garrick. Oh, Jay, I was going to say, yeah, I thought that was, I was getting him confused with Wildcat. No. Not that, the, not he, the Wildcats. He's also Jay, isn't he? Wildcat, Thank you. But he's Thank got a you. different surname. I can't remember that name. <laughs> Obviously, um, he's got was, a different surname. Not yeah, because he's a different person, PJ. Um <laughs> I you say, say that, but I once got a friend request on Facebook from Patrick Montgomery, which is me, and I was like, this is weird, and it was a different person, and I accepted it, and then I got invited to a group which was only peopled by other people <laughs> named Patrick Montgomery, and got more friend requests from other Patrick Montgomerys, and I thought, I have to nip this in the bud now, this is getting really weird. You know, you, you're basically living a Jet Li movie. Yeah. <laughs> someone's, someone's rounding you all up so they can kill you and claim, your, claim the yep. power of the true PJ... I have since declined all requests from other Patrick Montgomerys. Um, I would say the the real kind of takeaway line here is how Epoch says he well he comes from the future and he has read in the history books about how he ruled the late twentieth century, so he knows he's going to win. Yeah, which is mad. <laughs> like, given what eventually happens, that's mad. So we then move to. 65 million BC where Epoch appears in a flash of light and there seems to be a weird crack in the sky and then when the JLA arrive in the time cube the sky is black yeah it's all very surreal and Superman I guess is using his weird kind of energy senses to scan and work out what's going on but he says something's happening in space it's a kind of dark nova which appears to be absorbing light as it collapses. Yeah, the words which is, again. The words "dark nova" event feel very Morrison. I was going to say, yeah, like I, I'm I, so I, happy we we live in a world where this kind of shit gets written. Dark nova event. That for me is just a beautiful combination of words. There are certain combinations that just make me go, yeah, I love that, and that's one of them. And apparently, and uh, Epoch is floating in the sky, and his costume is or his wig suit is going insane like it, it, it it's almost becoming unrecognizable as a as a human body uh it's just like this big storm of metal and he is apparently feeding or his suit is feeding on the energy of the dark nova yeah there's a there's a lot of a lot of techno babble um Anti-tachyon strip mined by the gravity of the Dark Nova, absorbed through the warsuit's smart skin casing, feeding the armor's computer colonies. It's just, it's crazy stuff. And apparently this is, I don't know how this sits in greater DC continuity, but this is apparently the event that destroyed the dinosaurs. <laughs> the creation of a soliton, uh, a time particle which can only exist once in one space and one time. And this is what he needs to be achieve godhood, basically. And I love all the techno babble, all the pseudoscience that he's coming out with. And then Green Lantern's just don't want to rain on your cake, man. But God hasn't been invented yet, and blasts him. And I again, I I like I like it when artists draw uh, Kyle's energy as having a bit more kind of definition yeah. and texture to it. You get a nice. I really like his shield in this panel. Yep. Yep. Small thing. I I can't tell. Is it? Is it that Epoch is absorbing green energy that Kyle's firing at him, or is he also firing other green energy at Kyle? I think he's firing green energy because he says he's time-stealing green plasma from the Owen power battery. Yes, okay, yes, you are right there. I think. Otherwise, yeah, if, it, if, if, if he wasn't so kind as to explain what he's doing, I might be a bit confused as well. But here's the but... thing. Does 
Green Lantern energy affect other Green Lantern? Oh, it must do, mustn't it? Yeah. Because we've seen, like, Hal fighting Sinestro when they both had Green yeah. Lantern rings and when Hal attacked the other core. Yeah, I guess it must do. Never mind. This is maybe my one slight problem with kind of like uh, time-traveling villains because it's like... It's almost like he's required to be a Swiss army knife. Like, it's almost required that he has to do something interesting on every panel. Yeah. But I'd be like, hey, if I can steal energy directly from the Owen power battery, I would never do anything else. Like, that'd be perfect, would it not? Although you do feel like um, the same as when he blasts Superman with the red sunlight and energy Superman is unaffected. Because Kyle's ring isn't your standard Green Lantern ring, it was a prototype, I believe, that they developed that, that was more powerful. It didn't have the yellow impurity and it could do other things that the old rings couldn't do. So this energy might not affect him quite so much and that little shield he's is probably more than enough. Um, But yeah, but um, I would say uh, even though Kyle is able to shield it, it doesn't stop uh, Epoch from ranting and raving it's still a distraction yeah because apparently um this is his checkmate move he is basically sending the jla and the chrono cube into the future but keeping the engine of the chronosphere in the past so that they will be stranded in the future and won't be able to come after him so he's basically won yeah, and in the cube, Flash says Batman, we're losing the drive unit, this is serious, and Batman, typical Batman response, we'll work something out, it's fine. Yeah, Wally, they're the JLA. Um, I'm Batman, got, I got this. Uh, so yeah, so basically it is now uh, AD, 33 AD plus two hours, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, the JLA now have 2,000 years to work out what to do i gotta say uh the scene this sequence actually i did really like um <laughs> there's some really great moments here like i like superman asks if they can just build another drive and kyle says well i could make one with the ring and batman is from memory no you can't do that kyle don't be stupid um but again as you say a nice little moment of them exploring options and wonder woman basically points out well if he kept the engine in the past, that means it's still here, right? Like, it's, it hasn't gone anywhere, so it's probably just buried somewhere deep well, on Earth. Also, a small point that's only just really occurred to me is Epoch says, I'm going to send you and trap you in the future. And by the future, he means the distant past of 33 AD, because they were in 65 million BC. So, hey, PJ, as... As our man will eventually say in a, future, in a future JLA story, it's hard to render a four-dimensional yep. co a conversation into two dimensions. It's, it's just a lovely little touch, though. The far future of 33 AD. Um, yeah, so again, the JLA are making some massive logical leaps here, but frankly, this is why they're the JLA. Yeah. And I do feel that if you believe hard enough, you can make these logical leaps into cold, hard fact, basically. Yeah, so Batman says, well, Green Lantern's power ring should be able to detect a buried power source. And then Superman's like, yeah, and I can do an analysis as well. Uh, I'll take the globe counterclockwise over the northern hemisphere. Superman's just doing an entire half of the planet. And then he's... <laughs> and I'd forgotten this. Just assuming Kyle can... Yeah, all right. And Kyle says, uh, 
how many power sources from the future can there actually be on Earth? Turns out they found eight so far. <laughs> because eight? I mean, for crying out loud. It's just a lovely little of, of the amount of time travel that happens in superhero comics and in these stories. And Kyle's like, I found eight different ones. It's like, it's brilliant. Um, so, yeah, and I, I would say one fun little thing that Morrison does here is that while Kyle and um, uh, Superman are digging up the power source... Um, he mixes up the point of view a bit, and suddenly we have uh, a Roman centurion uh, telling the story about how he he saw two, like ghosts or um, weird gogs or beings of energy, kind of doing this thing, and he was absolutely uh, awestruck by it. And his mates are going like, "Oh yeah, 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 you were drunk and all that, you know." And Superman looks at this figure and goes, huh, small universe. I'll see you later, Marcus. Be now, because... Yeah, <laughs> I had to do some digging. I wasn't immediately aware who Marcus was. I had I had a suspicion, and I was wrong. So I, I assumed it was a character Superman met in the Time and Time Again storyline where he got stuck in the past and would, could only move forward in increments, and he did spend a bit of time in the Roman Empire, and I assumed he met Marcus then. No. Not that at all. No. Uh, and and did you work out who it was? Uh, yeah, I looked Marcus up on the internet. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is the Alpha Centurion. Am I getting that right? I think so, but I will be honest, that is a gap in my Superman knowledge. I haven't read those books. I wasn't familiar with the character. The only reason I know the Alpha Centurion is I think he is mentioned in the DC Encyclopedia. And yeah, basically he's a Roman Centurion who found like a magic suit of armor and eventually ends up in the present day. Doesn't he get kidnapped by aliens or something I read on a wiki page? Oh, you you already know more than I do. <laughs> yeah, I think that's how he ends up. in. He, he finds the armor, gets kidnapped by aliens, and they send him back to Earth at the wrong time, and he becomes another superhero in Metropolis. Um, But but yeah, but, but, but suddenly moving on, we, we, we have very little time to spend with Marcus, because now it is AD 33 plus 12 hours. And the JLA are all... Um, basically touching Kyle's hand while he blasts the engine with his ring. Yeah, basically. The, Batman says to focus our willpower to help boost your ring and jumpstart the drive unit. Basically saying, Kyle, you don't have enough willpower, so we'll all help. But And apparently just, just touching him, holding his wrist is enough. Although Wally's actually gently stroking Superman's hand. That is That is true. <laughs> I mean, they've spent a lot of time together. And you know, let's be honest, you would if the opportunity arose. Ooh, I'm stroking Superman. What, I, what, I, what, what is interesting is, like, it actually does make sense that they are all touching or near, adjacent to the ring and are using willpower. I, I can think of a few occasions in Kurt Busiek's Avengers where everybody does the kind of let's touch and channel powers thing. Um, yeah. With maybe less logic behind it, but it's just a really cool moment, so it doesn't it yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. Now this is a nice kind of Superman Batman moment here, uh, where Batman is repairing the engine, and Superman's like, "So, how long is this going to take?" And Batman's like, "It's a time machine. It doesn't matter how long it takes, as long as we fix it." And Superman's like, "Yeah, but do you have like an estimate?" He's like, 30 seconds." And, and it's <laughs> on. Turns it on. It's like, <laughs> "We're good." Do you think that's Batman messing with Superman a little bit? Just just having some fun? I think so. I hope, <laughs> I hope so. And I think Superman 
knows that Batman never mind that this is like a piece of tech from like the 41st century like I think Superman just trusts that Batman can work this stuff out well he can he's Batman and yeah I mean so they they reactivate the time the the chrono cube and it's a nice little moment with with the art here where Wally says okay brace yourselves this may be a little unk and then just the the images go weird and and, and Wally's speech bubble starts out normal and then it, uh, he's going to say uncomfortable clearly but it goes U-N-N-K-K and then you just get a load more letters floating around the page loads of K's and then U's, H's, M's, W's as the League experience time travel and it's really un- and the reality seems to warp around them and it's a really the, the art in this sequence is really well done to show that and, and yeah yeah how uncomfortable they all are, their costumes warp, their faces are distorted, and then Wally hits the button again and they're fine. Yeah, and Wally's like, hey, we did it. Like we're we're home. Um yeah, the the date and you know, the 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 the, the what, what would you call it? The display says, Yeah, you've you've arrived at the right time and place. And Kyle says, mm, we're not home. But, but Wally doesn't even look up. He's like, No, no, this says we're home, so we're definitely home. And it says it in 3D letters as well, because not only is this a time travel story, it's also the 90s. Yeah, and the future was three-dimensional. And they look out through the view screen, and basically it looks awful. Like, it just really looks horrible. Um, There are energy blasts being fired, like fires burning... Typical kind of dystopian kind of future, surely. Wrecked buildings. But as we turn the page, uh, no, this is not some horrible, dark, dirty future. This well, is horrible, this is the horrible, dark, dirty present of um, the Wildcats universe. Way. Oh, look at that stupid mask. Anyway, um... <laughs> hey, hey, he's like if you take he's he's Batman, he's Wolverine, he's Gambit, he's every edgy character rolled into one and he's got a handkerchief tied around his face. Like, what are you talking about? What's not to love? You, you can carry on with this. I'm, okay. I'm checking well, out for a moment. Okay. PJ's gone to his happy place. Um, okay. So we cut suddenly, because uh, this is a crossover, incredibly. Uh, we cross suddenly. Yeah. To... 16 pages in. <laughs> we may... yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah. A quarter of a way into the overall runtime. Um, the Wildcats are suddenly here, and we get this massive double-page spread. Like, honestly, I think I had forgotten that this was meant to be a crossover. Like, I, I, my brain had somehow filtered it out. And, yeah, we have the Wildcats looking, well, gnarly, radical, extreme, everything you'd expect, really. Um, standing on a rooftop, just looking at all this destruction, and... And I guess I'm being a little unfair because I guess they are saying that this this level of chaos and destruction is unusual. Yeah. Like it isn't it isn't quite like this every day. Um Yeah, so they, they talk about a load of stuff which doesn't really matter, if I'm honest. But <laughs> um Because this is the they, JLA cast, not the wild cast. Yeah, uh, but the long and short of it is um there's some kind of uh there's some kind of distortion in time which one of the characters is aware of and it is causing quantum foam which might be altering probability which might be causing essentially more people's gen active so definitely they're definitely not mutants pj but people's 
dormant superpowers to suddenly awaken. Was um, Gen 13 part of this universe as well? It was. I thought so. I read their crossover with Generation X. That was awful. And of course, they were originally called Gen X. Until Marvel had Generation X. Until Marvel... Presumably. Yeah, until Marvel sent the biggest and heaviest cease and desist you could imagine. (laughs) And after like a few issues, they had to rebrand as Gen 13. And then they had a load of crossovers with Generation X, so it can't have been that bad. Um, But yeah, I I should say, uh, quick roll call uh, here. We have... And I've got to say, it's a bit of a weird Wildcats lineup. So presumably, like with the JLA, this isn't the full lineup for the time. This is a selection. No, and I I think they've gone out of their way to try and pick five characters who might pair off nicely with the JLA. Um, I must admit, I'm not massively familiar with Majestic. Uh, I know that he is a Cherubim High Lord. So he is particularly powerful and long-lived, even by Cherubim standards. Okay. And he's basically Superman. Yeah. Like, he's basically Superman, other than being, like, thousands of years old. That's all you need to know. He's a big, strong guy. Pre-energy Superman. (laughs) Yeah. um, He can blast energy. He's big and tough. Uh, We have Zealot, who is also of the Cherubim. So she's also thousands of years old. Oh, okay. She comes from a slightly different cast of the Cherubim. They have like different subspecies. So her species aren't as strong as Cherubim. They can't, uh, as, as Majestic, they can't fly. But she's basically like an incredible fighter, incredibly strong, immortal. And she founded, and it's really annoying me now because I can't remember their name, but she founded an order of warrior women. Uh, which are still alive today. So, for people like me who don't know the Wildcats, she's Wonder Woman, but with swords. Yes, and somehow has both more and less clothes on at the same time. Yeah, uh, yeah, her legs are covered, but she's got more of her chest out. And a lot of metal piping and flanges. She's, because it she's was the 90s. so 90s. Picture Shatterstar. Y- yes, God, you're right, yeah. Um, and... Uh, also is also present is Grifter. Uh, who's that cool guy behind a handkerchief? Um, so Gr- Grifter is Cole Cash, who is a... Wait, sorry, that's his real name. His real, his real name is Cole Cash. It's not. You're messing with me. No, that is his real name. Wow. Um, people have repeated... In, in later iterations of the Wildcats, people have repeatedly called him up on how stupid his name is. I mean, he's growing on me. Okay, good. I'm wearing you down. Um, but Cole Cash is a human, uh, but he is the only man to have ever received training from Zealot's uh, kind of um, group of warrior women because they don't train men. So he's the only one who's ever received training from them. Uh, he is an on and off again uh, lover of Zealot. They're like a, a couple that can never seem to work it out. Uh, possibly because she's thousands of years old and he's quite good with guns. Uh, and oddly, as a weird little fact, Grifter used to be in a covert government superpowered team called Team 7. And he actually has massive psychic abilities, 
but he represses them because they kind of hurt him and I think kind of kill him when okay. he uses them. Okay. Does he have... Is it a secret identity? Cole Cash? Uh, maybe. Because that mask is really easy to lift up. Just saying. It is. Bit of a breeze. Very... Uh, I, I would... Uh, PJ, if you'd like to educate yourself on how awesome this mask is, uh, don't, don't read this comic. Go and read uh, Wildcats version 3.0 uh, written by Joe Casey and illustrated by Dustin Nguyen. I'm probably pronouncing his surname wrong. I do apologize. Uh, and that is absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous artwork. And it really plays with what it means to have a superhero costume because nobody in that book has a superhero costume. And yet Grifter still insists on wrapping a handkerchief around his head. <laughs> and Dustin somehow makes it look like the coolest thing in the world. And people take the piss out of him all the time for having a handkerchief around his head. But he somehow makes it look badass. I will. I will. I will do my homework. Who are the other two? Oh yeah. So and finally, we have uh, Void, who is a human who was involved in an experimental thing that ended up with her being blasted into a sub dimension where she bonded with some entity. So now she has the ability to teleport. Okay, that's basically it. And we have Maul, who is a human with uh, Caribbean ancestry. And his subspecies of Cherubim uh, are, I think they're called Titanites, I may have got that wrong, but basically he has purple skin and he can grow bigger and heavier, but the bigger he gets, the less intelligent he becomes. And he has horns on his back. For some weird reason, yeah. So as he gets bigger, he, kind of like the Hulk, the, the stronger he gets, the, well, it's like a angrier, stronger... Bigger, yeah. dumber kind okay. of things. Okay. That's basically it, PJ. That's that's your potted Wildcats introduction. Cool. Thanks for that, I think. <laughs> well, you seem to have a real connection with these characters now, PJ. So, um, Yeah, they're my well, favourites. So what happens now? Well, uh, Grifter says something about psycho waves from another dimension and punks who just got their first powers for free. Uh... And I, I assume that's what's responsible or what they think is responsible for the chaos going down at the moment. Um, and then he says to Maul, why did I give up my day job, Jeremy? So I assume Maul's real name is Jeremy something. Yes, he's actually a scientist when he's not hulking out. Okay. Kind of like a hulkish character we might be familiar with. Ah, uh, the thing. The thing, yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they have a lot of chatter, which frankly doesn't really matter. Uh, and the wildcats leap in to start taking down these random super-powered people. Yeah, well, Zealot seems to be fighting a tank that's come to life, is what that looks like. A tank that turned into a human-type shape and says rank, and she just smashes it. Yes, and... Majestic did ask that they don't kill people because they're trying to improve relations with the supervillain community. He says um, minimum force. Uh, and Zealot just kills the guy. Um, and yeah, they just leap into action, basically. Well, she she does uh, say, oh, it was a cyborg after she smashes it to pieces. Oh, of course, yeah. If anytime you think they killed someone, it, it was a robot. That's fine. Um, so Majestic... Uh, goes, alright, well we might as well give up on minimum and shoots a guy through the head uh, like destroying right his big through his head, it's 
Yeah. Yeah, destroys like his presumably robotic bit of his head because he's still talking. Says he's going to sue him. And then a massive ball of flesh with a head and two guns. Do you tries to... do you remember uh, Sugar Man from Age of Apocalypse? I was going to say Sugar Man. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> all my life. I'm so God. Yeah, <laughs> we we basically we are each each other's perfect audience on this on this podcast. <laughs> Uh, yeah, a big misshapen ball of flesh. <sighs> Grifter shoots him and kills him. Um, if we're glossing over this, it is it is because it's mostly inconsequential. Um, but I guess the only interesting thing is that while the Wildcats are slaughtering these people, Void notices that somebody is moving at super speed in the distance, observing them. Yeah. And she teleports to the Chrono Cube. You do get um, JLA You do get a, a nice little... Uh... As she's looking at this super speed thing, it's it's the red and yellow energy of the flash just moving through the panel. It's quite a nice little detail I like. And she is instantaneously there, like um, perfectly catching up with Wally by teleporting. Um, and the rest of the Wildcats turn up, and Superman is, is Superman. well, he's he's being Superman. Like he he's now we talked about how the jla met a bunch of edgy 90s heroes in the form of the hyper clan this is this is real kind of like culture clash this is really like i mean john can i just point out this is the fourth overall story we're covering and it's the third one in which they've met a bunch of edgy 90s super team (laughs) yeah i mean this this really doesn't. This isn't fair on the Wildcats. They're so outclassed here. I, <laughs> it's just I like what the Wildcats became. This is not a good time in Wildcats history. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, but Superman goes to sh- like he kind of puts his hand out to shake. Like he's he's being nice. He says uh, he introduces himself. He he asks if they're in Metropolis because he thinks that's where they should be. And then he says, "Do you, do you know the planet Krypton?" And Ma- Majestic gets threatening. Yeah, because because people were angry in the nineties, and and Majestic is like, um, look, how dare you scan me electromagnetically? If you ever do it again, I'll rip your head from your shoulders. Do I make myself clear? And then we get quite a fun moment where we get a long shot of the building, and then Majestic just cannonballing backwards out of the building with a pained expression, and then Superman floating over him and going, "I think you do now." I it's a cool moment, but I don't like it. I, I would actually agree with you. I don't feel that Superman would throw the first punch. No. In fact, um I'm sure we we will compare notes in a bit, but I would say that I don't think the JLA are entirely themselves in this issue. Like there are some there are some fun moments as we discussed, but it I'm I'm surprised that it was written after volume one yeah of it feels like it was written earlier it feels like a much rougher version of the characters we know yeah but we do get a nice moment where um uh batman punches maul in the face and tell well yeah also kind of throwing the first punch i can buy batman doing it when he feels he's overpowered because he knows he's just a normal guy these people clearly have powers i can see batman trying to just get in quick and get it done that's fine but he, he whacks Maul in the face, kind of more to distract him, and then tells Green Lantern to finish him off. And Grifter reaches for his gun. There is a 
blur of cape and suddenly Batman is just holding his gun. I do like as well that the, it shows Grifter recognises that he doesn't know Batman. He's not seen him before, but he recognises what he's supposed to be because he says, hell of a mistake, Batman, with a hyphen. He's saying, you're a man who is a bat. You are a Batman. And this is a kind of, I, I think if I'm honest, I think this is one of the moments that annoyed people when this story came out because they were like, oh man, it'll be an epic fight between Grifter and Batman and Grifter is such a badass. Look at him. He's got a really cool handkerchief around his face and PJ's wrong. And <laughs> they were saying that in the 90s? They, they were Actually, definitely no, saying a, that a lot in the of 90s, people did yeah. say PJ's uh, wrong in the 90s. I'll give you that. Uh, but what actually happens is um, Grifter just goes, oh, okay. Like, uh, you guys have got something special going on here. Um, I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to let you guys sort it out. Like, I don't want to fight. And uh, Batman goes, uh, reasonable man. And chucks him his gun back. Saying, don't quite, use them myself. Nice moment. <laughs> and yeah. And yeah, I, I actually do really like that moment. So I don't know much about these characters or who they are, but I do like the, the grifters sensible enough to go, I get this. You guys, yep, that's fine. I'm just going to sit it out. <laughs> I'm just going to. So he just sits there, lights a cigarette, and um, Batman's like, uh, well, yeah, here's your gun back. Don't use them myself. And Griff is like, yeah, you know how it is. Can't live with them. Can't live without them. And just sits back and uh, smokes his cigarette. Uh, and then it cuts to Flash trying to catch Void. Um, which, yeah, because she's teleporting really quickly. He can't catch her. and But it, he's very close to catching her each time. And then basically she just says, um, look, you don't have to be a hostile. And he says, can we stop? Can we, can we talk? <laughs> yeah. Um, which is a nice little moment. And it's kind of i guess you're right actually it, it does make it kind of all the sadder that like these two teams while they represent wildly different ideologies um they don't really have a reason to fight and it's nice that like wally and void just go like hey this is pointless batman and grifter go like okay this is pointless it does kind of make it all the stranger then that like superman would just punch yeah majestic in the face um, now, uh, and Green Lantern and Maul are just fighting, though. And I do love the moment where Kyle uses Maul's horns <laughs> as a slingshot. <laughs> he just creates a big strap between the horns, then puts a girder in it that he's also created with the plasma and uses the uses it to just fire the girder straight at Maul's head. It's It's beautiful. I love it. And I can totally get that Kyle would end up in a in a in a fight like he's not a bad guy but he's a little impulsive yeah i can i can he's, imagine how these he's two younger would he's just not be. experienced yeah um but it, it, we get a nice little kind of looney tunes-esque moment where maul and kyle are just beating the crap out of each other and grifter is just casually casually sitting there having a smoke as the two of them just continue to beat the crap out of each other as she says fun. great special effects <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, Zealot just keeps attacking Wonder Woman, who is basically doing nothing but blocking. Um, because again, I think Zealot is massively outclassed here. Yeah, and and you get that when she Wonder Woman her first punch smacks Zealot in the face, and Zealot still can't get a hit in. And yeah, and and basically Wonder Woman's like, okay, look, you're a coward. You know, if you really want to fight me, do it without the sword. Okay, she goes, fine. Yeah, because she's so angry because it's the 90s. She throws the sword down. 
And then Wonder Woman goes, okay, well, look, I've, you know, and actually Wonder Woman completely negotiates her out of this fight. She says, well, look, okay, you've already given up your sword. You've already disarmed. Why don't we actually just talk like rational women? And the fight is over. Yep. So then we cut. No, it isn't. No, I tell lie. It isn't. Sorry. Well, most of it is over. But then we cut back to Green Lantern and Maul. Yeah, and I, I, I guess just to kind of make it interesting, uh, Maul did some kind of nerve punch on Kyle that is basically numbing his nervous system and affecting him being able to use the ring. Well, my guess here is the, and as I say, I don't know much about the Wildcats, but I would guess that actually in this instance, Maul is the more experienced fighter of the two. He's probably been doing this longer than Kyle's been Green Lantern. Yeah, and I think there's a gimmick with Maul where, who I have to say, I do love purely for that weird hyper 90s anatomy he has, yeah. where he's like strong guy from uh, from X Factor. Yeah. He's like so insanely muscular. Uh, but basically, like, Maul can do the reverse and he can become super small, well, maybe like a foot tall, and like become hyper smart it's like there's like an inverse relationship basically yeah uh, so he he does the the pinch thing to kyle and then he says it's only when i get bigger that i get dumber and he starts getting bigger and dumber and then batman knocks him out yeah uh and then sorry yes here was me saying that um wonder woman successfully uh talked um zealot out of fighting but she maybe also needed a bit of encouragement because she punches Zella out of the building and down to the ground floor and basically says like, oh, there's an ice cream van going going around the corner. Maybe we'll, <laughs> I maybe we'll... genuinely <laughs> didn't know if that was your, your street or mine. <laughs> well, we'll keep, we'll keep that in the edit. That's fine. Um, so as this happy music plays... Good God, it's like an air raid, sorry. As the happy music <laughs> plays, um, Wonder Woman goes, look, why are you being so stubborn? You know, if you keep fighting me, I will never fall... And I haven't even started hitting you. And so I, we either talk or I'll just beat the crap out of you. Totally buy that. It's Wonder Woman. And uh, Zealot's like, okay, okay, let's stop. Basically, Zealot had to be beaten up a bit before she went, I like you. That's weird. <laughs> because the 90s, everybody, the 90s. Um, also, a building explodes. Yep. Just boom. And out of this massively devastated building, Superman and Majestic walk out and they go, sorry about that. Everything's fine. We've settled our differences. And uh, yeah, Superman says, you seemed hostile. And then you mentioned the Keran Empire. Is that Keran? Keran? How's that pronounced? Kieran, Kieran. I think. Okay. No, but that also sounds like a name, doesn't it? So the Kieran Gillen Empire, the Kieran Gillen Empire. <laughs> right. uh, <laughs> we've had problems with alien empires in the past. It's a lot, awful lot of glitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and they do, they do the classic. Well, that that scene, you know, like when when two superhero teams always beat the crap out of each other when they first meet. They pick up the pieces, and I guess Superman rationalizes his first punch by saying, I guess I thought you were an evil empire. Um, and yeah, they, they actually say, look, well, this is meant to be 1999, but uh, Batman says that Grifter has never heard of Metropolis, Gotham City, or the Justice League. And then Grifter, of all people, 
So it's great names though, guys. It says what it means, and it's not afraid to get laughed at. You've got a bloody hanky on your face. <laughs> I think there is a little joke in the very first, very, very, very first issue of Wildcats, which I imagine Jim Lee put in because it was what somebody editorially asked him, where Grifter appears and introduces himself. It's big and badass. And he's like, hey, I'm Grifter. And someone goes, Drifter? No, no. Oh, never mind. Right. So, um, John, your uh, your Grifter voice sounds very similar to your Batman voice. Well, PJ, it's it's because um, Grifter is what we call derivative. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? I'm getting very mixed messages from you here. One moment you love Grifter, and then the next moment, (laughs) I think it's important to note that like everybody has an embarrassing teenage phase. And this is what the Wildcats are. Like, I, I'm really sorry. Like, I love the Wildcats, and I don't mean to rain on anyone's parade, but, like, they were all style and no substance at this point. <laughs> and they got better. But, yeah, they were... It's, it's looking back on every superhero I designed as a 14-year-old. Like, everything is extreme. Yep. You know, to the max. So we get, and yeah, yeah. Sorry, Peter. We get Grifter now, basically going. Okay, well, you may not be the bad guys, but those are bad guys. And you, we, we, I don't really know what he's pointing out. Something with steam, apparently, and attitude. They have steam and they have attitude because nineties, and they are headed this way. And Superman, this is quite a good line. They should have headed the other way. Follow me. And then we get a great big splash page of the league. Well. I, I was going to say the two teams no. coming together. No, we don't. But... <laughs> it's the league. <laughs> really, it's a, it's a splash page of the JLA uh, fighting all these villains. And in the background, the Wildcats. They are also here. <laughs> who are who are also here. And PJ, given that we've been talking for the better part of two hours now, I might suggest that we put a pin in it now. It's a, it's a long issue, so we're going to cut it there. And we're, Oh, look, you guys, we're doing a two-parter. <gasps> Gasp. Will the Wildcats succeed? Will the Wildcats ne- appear again in this comic <laughs> that their name is on the title of? Um, so, PJ, as, as, we, um, as we close our kind of um, archival, legacy, classical history book of the evening... Um, what are your thoughts at the halfway point of this uh, this crossover? So, it's weird. And given that I, I have read the whole thing, as I said, I read, I read it last night, so I know, I know what's coming as well. It's those first 15 pages or so where it's just a JLA story with, with Epoch. I really like, actually. Those are really good. It is, it's a pretty solid JLA story, and I like some of the, the fun it has with the time travel, like them the, the League finding traces of the other time travel devices in in prehistoric earth and all of that stuff and then the wildcats appear and it start i don't want to rag on them i don't know the wildcats i haven't read wildcats at all but it does start to go downhill a bit for me at that point yeah it's it's a really odd beast and i think one of the things i find the strangest about it is it came out at the exact same time i don't know when it was written but it was released in the exact same month as JLA Secret Files and Origins, which we did in our last episode. Oh, okay. And the final part of American Dreams and the first part of Rock of Ages. They all came out in the same month. That's a big month. 
It was a big month. And it is mad to me that this was released in the same month as JLA Secret Files and Origins by the same author. And it feels so different. Yeah. It's so strange to me. It is. If a, I didn't know any. Yeah, sorry. It's a weird little curio, I think. Um, I mean, I'm guessing because uh, it's what sixty something odd pages, so I'm guessing it's one of like the the prestige format, your physical copy, like the, yes, the little yeah. spine, and yeah. So they had a few of these JLA crossovers at the time. Like the the Witchblade one was the same format, the Predator one was the same format. Those are both terrible. I do not want to get into it with you on those. I still cannot believe they did a Witchblade crossover. It's like awful. of all the things, it's awful. Um, but. Yeah, so there were a lot of these. There were then a lot of JLA one-shots that weren't crossovers in this format around the time as well. Foreign Bodies, Primeval. Um, so it, it, but it doesn't always work, that format. There's some weird... I don't know, you feel like you've got more pages to play with and then it turns out because you've got more pages, you think, I'll do a bigger story. And then you actually end up running out of space because you've gone too big, maybe. Um, yeah. is what a lot of them feel like to me and this kind of feels like that certainly where it where it's going i i feel like because as, as we said you spend the first 15 16 pages before the wildcats even appear and that's a quarter of the book it's so strange to me like if you told me that this had been written except this doesn't make sense either but if you told me that like this had been written three years earlier by Grant Morrison as a kind of spec script, like to try his luck, like pitching it to DC or whatever, I would believe you. Because it feels like a kind of rough cut. But but then it's so strange to me that it features Electric Blue Superman. And it's as... And it kind of fits into the... Con in a very loose way, it does fit into the main continuity of the series. Like there's a few things as we will explore in American Dreams, that tie it in. And it just, it's so strange. Like, it, it, it's like if it had been part of the main series, I think they would have had to justify its existence a bit more. And I think it's interesting what you said about this kind of um, prestige format. It's like this book has no other reason to exist beyond the meeting of the two teams. Yeah. And thus it is, its very existence is a little indulgent. Like it doesn't massively add much to both teams. Um, and then it's also doubly weird because you probably could have just slapped two action figures together. But then it is weird that Morrison spends so much time doing a fun time travel story with the JLA. Yeah, and... I wonder who pitched this book, who approached who, whose idea it was to do this crossover. Um, and if it was Morrison's, like, because he was, maybe he, he was enjoying Wildcats at the time, he wanted to do something with them, and because he was writing JLA, he said, well, could we do this, maybe? But because he was writing JLA, that was his focus? That's a really interesting idea. Like, I'd, I, that's kind of intriguing. What if... What if he hadn't pitched this? And what if this was more of a top-down, like, editorial decision? Maybe even by the publisher. If, they, if DC or Image at the time were trying to foster relationships or kind of... Because this is more of a get for the Wildcats than it is for the JLA. Oh, yeah. So 
is it kind of like how can we get some of that JLA magic to rub off on the Wildcats? And Grant Morrison, you're the hot writer of the moment. You almost have to write this crossover. I it suddenly that it almost makes more sense to me if Grant Morrison's got a gun to his head. <laughs> Because then they're like, you have to write with these frankly average characters. I'm sorry, let's face it, they are average at this point in time. They got better. And I find it, then then it becomes a case of he's dealing with these average characters. His focus is on the characters he cares about, and he still manages to weave a little bit of joy out of it. Hmm. The thing is, he, it might be that he didn't write any of the other ones that, that I mentioned, like the other prestige format JLA books that came out within the same few years as his run on JLA. None of them have his involvement on them. None of the crossovers, none of the ones that are just JLA. Um, I think the only other things he does outside of the main series at this point that I can think of, other than the Secret Files books, are Earth 2 um, and DC 1 million. Mm-hmm. Which I feel he was very much the architect of. Oh, very much. Well. Hugely so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, I mean, frankly, it's it's... I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a cl- clearly because we're here today talking about it. But I'm, I'm a massive Morrison fan. Like I, I, you know, I've, I've, he, he made me want to write comics. I've tr- tracked down most of his work that he's ever done. Um, and I do find it very hard to believe that this was written by the same person that wrote Earth Two. Yes, they are very. I like, and it's, there are gems in it, like the fun work with time travel, some of the techno babble. A couple of nice little character moments, but it does feel like a different person. But it's also not the same person who wrote Final Crisis because I hate Final Crisis. It's awful, but I don't find any real joy in it, if I'm honest. But this, yeah. this, this is somewhere between the two Morrisons. It's it's not the same Morrison who writes the amazing stuff we we enjoy with JLA, but it's also a much better Morrison than the one who just ruined DC Comics for a while for me with Final Crisis. And what I find weird about Final Crisis is that the version we eventually got is is apparently the more sensical version than was originally than than Grant Morrison originally imagined. It was toned down. Have you ever read? I've got a book um, called uh, "Comic Book Writers on Comic Book Script Writing." which is basically a load of interviews done with different comic book writers about the process of writing comics. Um, have, you, have you ever seen that or come across that? No, I haven't. Okay, no, I think no. it was released in the early 2000s. It's a really interesting read, but one of the people they interview is Grant Morrison. What? And he, he goes into detail about the time he met aliens in his hotel room from another dimension. I've, I've got to say, I, I kind of imagine that if you spend any amount of time with Grant Morrison, he will at some point tell you about how he met aliens in his hotel room that one time. Yep. He basically dropped acid and met aliens from another dimension. And, have and you read... Sorry, PJ. I think that sums up Grant Morrison, really. It, it's it's a man who can have moments of genius, but also moments that just make no sense at all. And before you read a book, you don't really know which Morrison's showing up to the party. I think it's like, yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? Because I, I will pretty much get anything with his name on. I'm, I'm that, I'm that guy. Um, but it's, I, I, I'm, I can admit that there are series or works that don't do it for me at all. Like I've been tr- really trying to get into his current run on Green Lantern, and I'm struggling. 
like i'm very much struggling to really find what the point of that is um i would say same goes for his post 52 run on it wasn't called young superman but like when you know it was like superman learning how to be superman oh yeah he had because wasn't he writing both of them at the time action comics and superman and one of them was the early days and the other one was yeah yeah i just couldn't quite get on board with that one either so that's the thing i find with morrison it very much is you can't predict which one you're gonna get sometimes he'll do something great sometimes he'll do something that just doesn't work but there's no pattern to it whereas mark miller let's say i think there's very much a rise and a fall Mm. and it's a straight pattern there's no he 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 got worse and worse and worse and it never really picked up um and now i just don't bother touching his books because i haven't enjoyed anything he's written for years but with morrison kind of the same no well with morrison i don't have that at all because with morrison it's like yeah he's written stuff in the last few years that i haven't liked but he's also written stuff in the last few years that i have really liked and he's unpredictable i think yeah i guess that's the definition of that's how you form. i think that's actually scientifically how you form an addictive pattern of behavior it's like uh you we respond better to a gamble than we do to a a surefire outcome yeah so so there you go kids <laughs> get into comics it's a lot like gambling um but yeah it's i it's an it's a little oddity um i i'm glad we're visiting it yes i like i'm i'm glad to have read it because it 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 fills in a gap i didn't even know was there before we discussed doing this podcast to be honest i had no idea this existed or that it was actually part of morrison's main jla story but it is um and despite despite everything yeah it is and and i'm i'm glad i'm i've i've read it now and that it's it's something that i might have to track down a physical copy of just to put on the shelf in the right place you bastard this is well you, you i think you're going to struggle to put it in the quote-unquote right place uh oh, i'll stick it between new world order and american dreams that's fine uh slice american dreams in half and put it <laughs> somewhere in there like this is like i feel this little magical mystery tour has been surprising it's been uh educational it's like going on a really long holiday where there's been some ups and downs you've had a great time but you're also kind of tired and you want to go home and like <laughs> yes i'm i actually cannot wait to get back onto the main series because it feels like it's been too long yeah well that's technically we should have already done earth 2 because continuity wise that's that's already happened but we 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 don't want to yet <laughs> no no i feel i feel we need yeah we're going to have to we 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 need a fix like we 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 need some american dreams and and maybe rock of ages i, I think we, we sh- i think we'll do american dreams and rock of ages before we get onto earth 2 yeah but Earth Two is is a much better ride than JLA Wildcats. Oh, Earth so we've got that. To, Earth Two is brilliant. We got that to look forward to. Um, should we wrap it there, PJ? Have we said everything we need to say for yeah, the time being? Yeah, because we've still got half this issue to do. So um, I think that we'll have more comments, but they can wait. And you know, don't forget everyone to tune back in next episode for your your regular Wildcats fix with you know your your leading experts, PJ and John. You know, we love these we love these Wildcats and, and this new JLA team, I think they're really gonna, you know, be a hit with the kids. I have nothing. 
I have you literally nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I've killed your enthusiasm. Um, thank you for listening, and a massive thank you to Gavin Mitchell for our amazing cover artwork. And Elliot Red for our fantastic theme tune, Justice, which has nothing to do with the Wildcats. I didn't ask him to write a Wildcats theme tune. He could, but I didn't ask him. You know, we there's still time. We could completely rebrand this episode, all the entire podcast with a Wildcats-themed uh, uh, tune. Um, but I should say, if you'd like to follow Elliot, Gav, PJ, or myself, all our contact details on social medias are in the description of the podcast. And PJ, I mean, I feel it's only fair that you get the final word. There is no final word this time, John. There is only to be continued. <laughs>